Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to Kathleen Powell, Supervisor of Historical Services and Curator at the St. Catharines Museum, Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator at the St. Catharines Museum, and Sarah Nixon, Public Programmer here at the museum. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. On this episode of Museum Chat Live, we discuss the latest venture of the St. Catharines Museum. And this is a big one, a venture into much uncharted realms, undertaking a new interpretive plan. You may be asking what an interpretive plan is, what it means for the museum, and maybe even why it matters. We have Kathleen and Adrian here to shed insight on these very important questions. We're publishing this podcast episode during Museum Week, a global online campaign celebrating the work and impact of cultural institutions across the world. Now in its sixth year, Museum Week is organized around the idea of seven days, seven themes, and seven hashtags. Here at the St. Catharines Museum, we are a community museum focusing on the local. Museum Week offers us a chance to take part in something with a global reach and to feel connected to a larger worldwide cultural celebration. One of the themes this year is hashtag ExploreMW. This theme challenges museums to explore new territory, initiative, and daring. It is an invitation to share innovation and to think outside of the box and push boundaries. This is how we see the work of the museum's new interpretive plan. Beginning in 2018, the consulting firm Haley Sharp Design and the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center began working on a plan to streamline and enliven the visitor experience across the galleries and adjacent landscape of the museum building, while also improving the ability of museum staff and volunteers to respond to the needs of our visitors. This plan is now nearing completion. Kathy, to start this conversation off, What is an interpretive plan, and why did our museum embark on this venture to develop one? Well, an interpretive plan is essentially a plan that talks about how we tell all the stories that we're telling. So interpretive in this particular instance means uh, telling the, interpreting the stories of the city. It's kind of like, you know, interpreting a language. Well, the language that we're interpreting in our interpretive plan is the story of the city, all the stories of the city. And our plan, the idea of an interpretive plan is to figure out how you can do that in a way that is relevant, uses the space to the best of its advantage, and tells the very particular stories that you want to make sure that are important to the community and uh, that will help to uh, illuminate a bit more about what we want uh, people to take away from the museum. Awesome. And why do you think it was important for us to do this? Well, the museum has been in its current location since 1991, and uh, when they put the exhibits in, they must have done some sort of interpretive planning at the time. I don't think they had a formal interpretive plan like we're going to have now, but they had a plan that kind of laid out how the exhibits were going to be laid out, where they were going to tell specific stories in the galleries and in the park. 
but that was in 1991. That was quite a while ago. It's time for a refresh, and a lot of those exhibits from 1991 stood the test of time, but they've seen better days, and so it's time to uh, to take a look at how we can change that. And then, of course, the way that museums tell the stories they tell has changed a lot in the last 30 years, and so it's really about taking a look at what's new and exciting in how museums tell stories and see if we can capitalize on some of that to uh, interpret our stories in the city as well. Well, it seems like a really big project. Uh, what was the development process like? Like, how do we get to the point of having all of these stories? Well, it was a big process. I'm sure Adrian can uh, <laughs> jump in on this one as well. But uh, it all starts out with, you know, just as staff taking a, a reflective look at what we see as how we would tell our stories here. Kind of to, we had to put a, uh, a bit of a box on the plan. You can't just say, okay, interpretive plan, let's just tell everything. So we have to kind of put uh, parameters in place to make sure that we keep it focused because otherwise it'll be crazy. There's like millions of stories in the city. So how could you make sure that you keep it focused enough that a, a group of planners who are coming from outside of our organization can wrangle that and, uh, and put it together? Uh, Adrian can probably talk a little bit more about the process of how we get to the final plan. Absolutely. The absolutely the process was really fun. Actually, it was it was uh, a long process, but it was really fun. Um, the interpretive planners led us through a, a couple of consultations with uh, staff and our volunteers, and um, and our museum advisory uh, committee as well, um, as well as a bunch of comments from. Um, from from uh, volunteers and things like that that didn't come to those particular sessions. But the idea was we would gather sort of as much information we could about all of the assets that the museum has. So from artifacts and photos to just, uh, you know, volunteers, staff, um, outdoor interpretation and just abilities of the site. Um, and then we tried to gather as many of the topics that we could that we thought should be included in the plan. So um, volunteers and docents and staff who were a part of those sessions will remember writing, you know, one topic per post-it and we'd put the post-its on the wall. And eventually the, after three or four sessions, all of those ideas got wrapped into what we lovingly refer to as the spaghetti map. <laughs> it's such a, it's a large mind map that is sort of divides the topics and organizes the topics into a couple of main themes, sorry, three main themes, I should say. Um, and that, and basically that helps us to organize how we can use all of our assets to tell uh, a more cohesive narrative um, throughout the gallery. And, and basically the plan takes that spaghetti map, creates some interpretive messages that gives us a little bit of significant statement about those topics, and then, uh, and then helps us to lay out the spaghetti map on the real estate or the floor plan of the actual gallery. So it's kind of like this big abstract thing that sort of translates it into what it'll look like eventually um, for the visitor. So the visitor won't see the spaghetti map. They probably won't even see some of these overarching theme statements, but it'll help to sort of organize our information and our assets in a way that is pleasing and to the visitor. And they'll still understand the significance without maybe reading a theme statement. So. Yeah, and then a part of, part of the plan, kind of separate from that, is to take a look at the layout of our galleries and 
from the same idea of the assets that we have from the perspective of telling the stories is the assets that we have in our galleries. So what display cases do we have? Are there walls that can be moved or have to stay where they are? All of those kinds of layout issues. And then taking a look at how can we consider these stories from the mind map and with the interpretive themes and lay those out in a gallery that will allow for the best viewing of from the public when they're walking through the galleries. So you want to make sure that things actually flow well, but they, they flow well with, with display cases we already have. We can't replace every single display case in our gallery. We don't have the money for that. So it really takes a look at what, what do we have that we're working with, mm -hmm. and then how can, we, uh, how can we add to that with new things and tell the stories in a, a logical manner. And that also includes considerations for accessibility um, for people that have different abilities as far as visual, hearing, um, the height of where text goes on the wall, um, color, contrasting colors in display panels, making sure all the colors look good together. So you want your display galleries to feel like they're all in the same place and that we didn't, you know, grab a display case from some other place and paste it in and then it just doesn't match. Uh, it's kind of like furnishing your house, you know, when you put together a design plan, it's the same kind of idea. And that's also a part of the interpretive plan. So it's not just about knowing what stories to tell. It's figuring out how to do it in a way that looks really great, is relevant to the visitor and takes into consideration all of the needs of the visitors that are going to be here. It's a big, big process. Yeah, mm -hmm. <coughs> especially children as well. Not only folks with um, uh, disabilities, but children or, or new Canadians or people who their English is not their first language, um, trying to develop different types of interpretation so um, that we can accommodate maybe not every single panel or every single exhibit, but we can accommodate some sort of experience for people who are sort of non-traditional museum visitors. Um, so finding a way for us to engage children in the exhibits is really important um, so that they can, because they kind of have their own learning styles and their own way of using space, especially through play and exploration. So finding that way to do that, and, and adults generally do that in a different way, but not that we can't encourage play and exploration amongst adults as well. So it's kind of interesting to look at how our visitors already use the space and then figure out how we're going to use the plan and the messages and all that that's included to create this really great visitor experience. Speaking of visitor experience though, the plan isn't just limited to the gallery space at the museum and it's not just limited to interpreting the museum's collection. It also includes a couple of sections about the visitor experience generally for the whole site. Um, as Kathy mentioned, we've been here for 30 years and the original design of uh, the main section of the lobby was designed to sort of accommodate a couple of different types of operations in, in, in the building. Kind of like a mini mall. Uh, yeah, a mini mall, yeah. So tourist information and a gift shop. And when, those, when the museum was built, those operations were all separate. Now that we're one operation under one roof, we still have that sort of fragmented lobby issue going on. And the really the only issue with it is that it creates a little bit of a difficulty for wayfinding um, for visitors. So really trying to limit all of the pain points <laughs> for, uh, for visitors as they come in through. Finding the washrooms in the lobby is quite 
quite difficult just because of where they are in the and the sight lines between the doors um, of the front doors and the doors of the washrooms but also um, the challenges of the front desk where it is again sort of the visual lines between the front door and the and the the person who's working at the front desk are, are a bit challenging and the front desk is almost the last thing that you visually take in when you walk in um, as well as the entrance to the gallery is all the way on the other side from the front door so trying to trying to reorientate the or reorient <laughs> reorient the the lobby so that the the visual lines work a little bit better for the visitor experience that we're looking for so that involves moving moving the front desk which is a really exciting um, thing mm -hmm. yeah it's a big deal and it's about creating a seamless experience so that people people shouldn't notice the interpretive plan once they come here really in the end that's the whole point of this is to make it so that people don't notice and they see that everything works seamlessly when you come in. So you understand when you're in the building what is here. You know that the museum gallery is here. You know the viewing platform is here. You know where the washrooms are. You know we, that we have a gift shop. Just by standing there and looking around, you shouldn't need to pull out the interpretive plan and say, okay, the interpretive plan says we have a gift shop <laughs> and this is its theme and our front desk looks like this and the museum gallery's theme and the way you navigate it is this. It should be very seamless for the visitor, and that's kind of the purpose of this plan, to bring it to that seamlessness. Over 30 years, it's been kind of, lots of changes have happened, and you know, it's generally seamless. Most people probably wouldn't notice a huge deal about it, but, um, but because it's been kind of over the years, you know, you do one thing in year five and then something else happened in year 10 and something happened in year 12, all of those changes weren't necessarily done with a purpose that all matched together. And this plan is to kind of create a purpose that all matches together to implement over the next 10 years, probably. And if you think about your own museum experiences, not just us in this room, but the, the listeners as well, think about how much energy you spend from getting to your car or off transit and into the building and then wayfinding and then how much energy do you have left to take in the actual interpretation of the culture and the heritage mm -hmm. so if you spend all of your energy and you're exhausted by the time you even get into the gallery then how are you going to feel when you leave the gallery just even even more exhausted or more energized or so really trying to yeah like as Kathy said a seamless experience so that we can really get the collection and the artifacts and the stories right up front rather than, you know, wayfinding being the thing that takes up your energy as a, as a you know, visitor. So at this point, I'm hoping that you could offer us insight into the interpretive messaging that you're talking about and how uh, the interpretive plan will impact the stories we tell at the museum. Absolutely. So the, the um, I'm a big interpretive theme nerd, and I really, really like <laughs> <laughs> theme statements. Um, so it, it's, it's, uh, the plan really is great in, in, in many ways, but in, uh, in terms of theme statements and in organizing how the narrative will be told um, and providing significant statements to go along uh, makes me really happy. Because the, the, thing, uh, the thing about theme statements is that it takes it from just a topic to also, um, you know, 
helping us to understand why we're learning about it. Why am I reading about this thing? Why, why is this artifact in the collection? Why do we spend resources as a community pr to protect these things? Um, and just knowing the topic doesn't really tell me that, right? So you kind of want to answer the so what um, question. So what? Who cares about all this stuff anyway? So you kind of want to use your theme statements to direct you that way. And you can't really do that with just a topic. But um, there's a, there's a, the, that spaghetti map that we were talking about earlier kind of fed these uh, interpretive messages. And they were organized into three, 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 three categories, I guess, or three larger interpretive messages. So one example is um, the physical landscape. And the, the message that goes along with that is that the story of St. Catherine's continues to be shaped by its location at the base of the Niagara Escarpment and the changing presence of the Welland Canal. And I like that a lot because it kind of gives you the idea that, one, there are four canals. Well, I guess you, you'll get that information in, in, the, in the exhibits. But there, you know, there's more than one canal. But also, who knows what will happen in the future? The changing presence of the canal has always really been... Uh, an impact on what the city looks like and it will likely continue to be you know in the next hundred billion years you know so that's sort of the idea of like covering our past our present and our future all in that with a little bit of significance so that's that's um a really great one i it's, think the uh, the port de Luzi piers is a great example of that the port de Luzi piers were were built for the second well and canal to come through port de Luzi and um now they've deteriorated to the point that they're actually replacing the piers. So that's kind of like still the evolution of the canal is changing the way the city w looks and how we're mm -hmm. using the city, even mm -hmm. though that canal hasn't been in that place and ha ships haven't run through there yeah. for the canal in a long time. And But it's yeah. still uh, impacting how we're using the city. Yeah, that's a great example. Uh, so just to step back, so the spaghetti map that you're talking about, so that was all of the ideas that staff and volunteers contributed of what stories the museum can tell. And then from that spaghetti map, that big picture, they were organized into those three... Kind of like buckets. buckets. So imagine okay. that you would organize every single one of those little post-it notes into a little box. Right. And what box would they fit within? And the, the interpretive themes, state, the three interpretive kind of overall interpretive themes are... If you could just distill down what the city is into to three sentences, essentially, what right. would those be? Right. One is that we've the city evolved around the canal and was shaped by the canal, but also the fact that it's at the base of the escarpment and where it's located in the geography mm -hmm. of the region. The others are the socio-political landscape, that uh, the story of the people of St. Catharines is influenced by the unique juncture of natural elements and international relations. So the fact that we're so close to the border, but we're also um, along the Great Lakes in this kind of little microclimate that the Great Lakes create, that has also created a place where people from different social political places want to come and live because it's a, um, a really great place to be. And then finally, there's that the St. Catharines community whose richness of life and diversity of experiences are rooted in the growth of industrial development and cultivated by waves of settlement. So basically, St. Catharines grew up because we were located along the Welland Canal. There was lots of industry that grew up here. Being on the lakes, there's lots of uh, location for lots of fresh, clean, fr free water, <laughs> essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and so people came and moved to this community because of those things. And so if you distill down 
you know, what has St. Catherine's been about all these years? It's those things. It's mm-hmm. uh, the immigrant experience. It's the geography of the region. It's the Welland Canal and its industry. No question that industry has impacted how the, mm-hmm. the community has been shaped and who we are as a community. People see themselves as this kind of factory town still, even though we don't have as many factories left in our city. There's still that uh, kind of... Um, personal feeling that you connect to that story because everybody has somebody that they know that you worked at GM or that worked on the Welland Canal or you know all of those things so it's kind of taking those themes and putting them into a personal connection with the the real people's story that lived here in the end it's really about telling stories of people not about stuff and so this is how you take those uh, overarching themes and you put them into the people's story that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And how that manifests itself on the floor of the gallery is um, that the the messages are used to help us organize the stuff and the stories because, you know, we also have stuff to show. So the stuff and the stories of people and, and that kind of thing into some sort of flow that represents not only the three buckets, but an, an overarching narrative and then covering those significant statements as we go through and some and things like the Welland Canal or the immigrant experience or industry or built heritage are things that are going to pop up more than once because they're part they're sort of threaded through the city's history they don't just serve you know it's not like they just kind of happened in 1812 and then that's the end of it we'll never see that again it sort of comes back and forth and you get to see the impact of of for example the canal throughout in different lenses, in these three different lenses uh, throughout. So it's important that we have these statements to help us organize that because the narrative will be, you know, it's a complex narrative and to have that shown, you know, on the real estate of the gallery, you know, it's a big gallery, but we only actually have so much space and we have some large artifacts and that kind of thing. So organizing all of that needs to have... um, there needs to be a lens that we have to stay within. And I always love my, so I, coming from a, a parks ba- background, I really loved in the, theme statements because it told you sort of what you could interpret and what you shouldn't interpret, and that helps you to organize. Um, so, for example, you know, at, at Brownie Creek Provincial Park in Oakville, we're not really going to do programs about polar bears because there are no polar bears in the park. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't, again, also like, using these using these stories yeah we're a history museum but our collection is based on the history of st catherine's and not you know medieval europe so we're not really going to tell stories about medieval europeans um and and that's really important because we only have so much space and we only have so many resources and the city puts its the city and the public put their trust in us to tell that story so if you want medieval Europeans, you can go to the Rom, the Rom <laughs> which is another visitor experience all on its own. But if you want, you know, um, to see the city's identity represented in its in its past, its present, and maybe its future, this is the place to be. Well, that's really exciting. I'm really excited to to have this plan and move forward with it. I think good things are going to come from it for sure. Um, That does lead me to my final question, which is regarding implementation. And now, so we have this interpretive plan and we have these, you know, these themes and a vision for how the museum is going to look. What happens next? The implementation is uh, going to be a process. Um, 
having an interpretive plan doesn't mean you can just pop up everything right away. It's going to take some time and it isn't going to be cheap, so it's going to take money. We're not uh, trying to, um, to break the bank for the city and going and saying, you know, we've got this interpretive plan now, it's going to cost $3 million to implement it. Uh, can you just give us $3 million in this budget? I don't think that's realistic. So we will be uh, implementing over a phased-in approach over several years. It probably will take five or ten years to implement the entire interpretive plan because it requires redoing the entire galleries. Uh, the other consideration to make is that we don't really want to close the museum to redo all of the galleries all at once. We want to still be able to have the facility open to the public to see uh, what we have to offer. So the interpretive plan will be rolled out um, in different stages based on however much money we have in our budget per year to be able to implement it and um, start the first phase of the project will include the lobby which is a really big issue with how people navigate the lobby we've noticed it a lot over the last few years and we want to make sure that that number one is that people don't have any issues with how they get into the building and what they see when they're here uh, and so the lobby um, navigation is top priority and the the phased nature of implementation reinforces the importance of the plan because it is a four five six year project and we want whatever we do in the first year to still be relevant and whatever we do in the fifth sixth year fourth fifth sixth year to be the same as what we do in the first mm -hmm. year so that's why the messages are important that's why the layout of the gallery is important that's why things like yeah. type and font and color are important so that after we're all done, it looks like it all happened in one day rather right. than over a period of five yeah. years. So it ensures that continuity. Yes, absolutely. That's a great word for it. And then once we start in the galleries, the gallery is a little bit of a domino kind of game. Uh, because of the large objects that are in the gallery, when you move one thing, a bunch of things end up having to move as well. So sometimes, like moving the car, for example, if we were to move the Rio car from one section of our gallery to another section of the gallery, it's not just a question of moving the car. There's an exhibit case that has a whole display about the car in it. Actually, there's a couple of exhibit mm -hmm. cases with displays about the car. So the car has to move. All of those exhibits have to go somewhere. And then something has to go into those exhibit cases if they're empty. So if... Uh, and then we have a big empty space in the middle of the gallery that we have to fill as well. So it's a bit of a domino effect. So we have to kind of implement it in a way that isn't going to make it look like we're in the middle of something all the time. Right. <laughs> so uh, the first part of the implementation of the gallery includes uh, two things. One is reorienting how people navigate the galleries. Right now when you come into our exhibit galleries, you navigate down one long corridor uh, to the end, which is where you see the Welland Canals Gallery, and you kind of move around the back of the gallery and then back towards the front um, by exploring the city's history and then our uh, special exhibits gallery at the end. We want to reorient people in the other direction, so you would start essentially where our special exhibits gallery is now and then move your way around through the history of the cities and back up the corridor on the way out. Um, so. To do that, the very first gallery we have to redo is the area that's our special exhibits gallery, which will become an introductory gallery to the history of the city and how we got here, who we are, really to lay out those theme statements. They'll be, they may not be as overt as they are in the interpretive plan, but it'll be clear in there that this is how the city got here and who we are, using those theme statements as a way to interpret that. And then from there, we'll start to move through the rest of the galleries and implement different parts of the plan over the next few years.
It's super exciting. One thing to add is that people will be able to see the full interpretive plan. We'll have a link to it, I'm sure, on our website once it's finished. It's almost done now. Uh, we're just in the final draft stage, and then it has to go to senior management, and then from there, it should be good to uh, to implement. Um, and I just want to thank. I just want to take a, a second to recognize all the people who contributed to the plan. Um, this definitely was not a me and Kathy thing only. Um, staff were all, you know, in, involved. Volunteers, the museum advisory committee. I just want to recognize those people because their voices are actually in here and it's uh it's really nice to see so hopefully everybody uh enjoys it and the public uh, we had good public the public oh yes oh my we gosh all the public online and all the public consultation yeah. as well thank thank you to everyone if anyone's listening who made a comment thank you for your comments uh they were actually quite helpful and helped us to um sort of our, our better articulate a lot of the language around things like uh museum jargon like interpretive plan and theme statement and that kind of stuff um, so that was really, really great. Um, yeah, and then I guess also to a uh, big thank you to HSD for their leadership and support and uh, guidance and hard work on all of this stuff. So, yay. I think it's really exciting to be able to uh, have some time to reflect on the stories that we're currently telling and maybe places that we may not have realized ourselves that we were just missing out on uh, the opportunity to tell something really interesting about our community. There's so many layers to every story and every community because it's every single person in the community has their own story. So we're talking about, you know, 130 some thousand stories that all have thousands of layers to their story. And it's so interesting to be able to take that and make it into something that someone maybe from you know, a community in Australia could come into our gallery and, you know, read about this so interesting story of this person in the, the city and say, you know what, I can totally relate to that because I have a similar experience in this way or mm -hmm. whatever. And so to me, that's kind of what floats my boat is to be able to relate someone's personal story to a bigger picture in the world that, uh, you know, lots of people know those bigger pictures, but they, they don't know the, the really interesting nitty-gritty of everybody's everybody's place in it so I that an awesome thing about working in museums to be able to do that and that's what makes me kind of excited about implementing the interpretive plan it's going to be tons of work so that's you know daunting but it's also exciting as well because it also does give us some blueprint for where our work is going in the next little while hopefully everybody else will be excited about it as well what do you think yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, as one of the public programmers here, I'm excited to have an opportunity to share new stories and engage the public in new ways and really hear those stories that have been untold for so long. What a great way to celebrate Museum Week. <laughs> <laughs> A big thank you to Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie for joining Museum Chat Live to chat about the St. Catharines Museum's new interpretive plan. Exciting things are coming to the museum as we continue to bring innovation and out-of-the-box thinking to how we share the stories of our city. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. This podcast was produced by Sarah Nixon with special thanks to Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines.